0: Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals, one of the most watched And listen to podcasts dealing with addiction and recovery. I'm Randall Carlisle. This is my co-host, Rachel Santiza. Hello, Rachel.
1: Hello, Randall.
0: And our guest is Nathan Perry, and we'll get to Nathan's story in just a minute. I I try to impart a... Oh, we should say hello to people around the world who are watching us. Yeah. Um, Last week, we talked to the people in Columbus and Brussels, Belgium. So maybe say hello to your boyfriend in Russia. Igor.
1: Igor, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Igor. It's been a long week, but hello, Igor. You haven't, you <laughs> haven't
0: ever sent us an email or tried to get a hold yeah. of Rachel, so she was forgetting your name, and she's, I know. If you don't get in contact with her pretty soon, yeah, I you'll might just
1: completely forget in the it. past,
0: and yeah. we promised Igor uh, a bottle of good vodka if he ever right. comes to America to visit.
1: I know, but he's gonna have to remind me.
0: Yeah, I will. Anyway, a little factoid here, and I thought this was interesting. We could, you could both maybe speculate on this. Okay. It was from um, a report on CNN. It said that there was a significant, during 21, the pandemic, the whole year, yeah. there was a significant decrease in the usage of marijuana, alcohol, and any other drugs among teenagers from 10th to 12th grade. And it was a significant decrease. Any idea why that may have happened this year, or in twenty one?
2: Uh, uh, for me, it seems like just the availability. If you're not around any of your friends, whose maybe parents are, well, I mean that's where I would think people were getting it was maybe stealing it from their folks or something. So what, if you're that isolated, it might be just that there was no availability.
0: You're you're close because what, yeah. what's your guess?
1: I would I would guess the availability too, as far as like being out and being at school and being able to have right. Yeah, and,
0: and they blamed it on COVID because right. you're not around your friends as much, which mm-hmm. is one source of your illicit activities. Right, uh, you're not at school as much. Yes, you're not going to like football games or dances mm-hmm. or things like that, which that's where I started drinking. Was when I got you know together with my friends. Or even going to a friend's house because mm-hmm. we stole booze from from my friend's parents and right. they put water in the bottles and they you know hope that they wouldn't know. so anyway, <laughs> I guess if you had to find one good thing about the pandemic is that there was less usage this in, in 2021 than than before the pandemic so maybe. I,
1: I wonder like for devil's advocate how the mental health side what the teens was though
0: well that's that's a great question and that's something we won't find out till next year although the flip side may be that you know you talk about like i have a genetic predisposition in my family for alcoholism Mm -hmm. and if i wouldn't have had the ability to start drinking in my early teens maybe i wouldn't have turned into an, uh, an alcoholic
1: that's true you know that's very true Hmm. So I guess we'll find good out. Good and
0: bad. Maybe we found something good about COVID. It's true. I, I doubt it. To be
1: determined in yeah. 2022.
0: Nathan Perry. Yes, sir. Welcome. Thank and you. Thank you for thank you for showing up. Uh, in our last podcast that we recorded, we we had uh, a person who had gone through our CATS program. Uh, and for those of you watching and don't know, it's, it's a program run by Odyssey House in the Salt Lake County Jail. And inmates who are in for low-level drug charges uh, have an option of going to the program for three months. And it's basically the same as our programs out in society, uh, right. but you're in jail. So what was your experience with CATS? I mean, how would you get into it? What, what well, were, you, what were uh, you doing with your life that you had the option, <laughs> the option of going to CATS?
2: Uh, I, I was arrested for homicide. I uh, have no drug charges and um, when, so I, I've been struggling alcoholic for basically my whole entire adult life and my wife uh, couldn't handle it to the point where she decided that uh, she needed to leave and move, and move on and I decided to give up and drink myself to death and uh, was drinking very heavily. And uh, got in a relationship with a beautiful woman named Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Me and Rebecca were both contented on drinking ourselves to death together. And on October 21st of 2018, we both attempted suicide together. And she died and I did not. And so I was um, then... Involuntarily admitted to the University of Utah's mental health department and stayed there for a couple of weeks and was released. And then six months after that release, uh, the police came to my house and arrested me for homicide. I was charged with her death. And uh, then um, spent about six months in the GED program as a tutor in Salt Lake County Jail because I heard that programs, departments, were easier places to stay out of mm-hmm. trouble and not deal with anything. And so I tutored people in there for six months and then had the opportunity, uh, just by putting in on the computer, to go to CATS. And so I did the three months CATS program and all of this as well. I was, I, I, would, I don't know, it's hard to say fighting my case because that it wasn't fighting the case. There was, I mean, I never made it to pre-trial where there would be a discovery and the prosecution would uh, release all of the evidence and then the judge would decide, is there going to be a case against you? And uh, so I waited for that for about 12 months until the state decided that they... So there was, it's a very complicated story, but... It came to the point where the state offered me a deal to where I could stay and fight the case for as long as it would take, or they would give me a second-degree felony manslaughter charge with a suspended one to 15-year sentence, uh, and I would serve 365 days with no credit for time served and no good time, and I took that deal. Uh, I took responsibility for her death.
0: Although you guys decided on the suicide together,
2: yeah. Yeah, and that's a very difficult situation because we went to um a birthday party together. We went to a concert after that that I do not remember the concert after that. Um I know because of a bunch of because of a bunch of the evidence that was later shown to me that there was text interactions between us. Why did you leave me at the concert? She came to my house the whole situation transpired, and these are things that I do not have a clear memory of. Uh, She woke me up is um, my understanding of the situation, and it being so far away from right now, and I was very inebriated, and I've heard a lot of uh, evidence and texts and other people's opinions about the situation, that the reality is I don't have a clear understanding of what happened. But I know that the judge made it very clear when I took my deal that I was taking responsibility um, for her death. And I mean, that's how I have to live now.
0: So how do you live with that? I mean, that's that's a difficult thing to to live with.
2: Yeah. I run a lot. <laughs> That's uh, I I I run too much. I'm constantly dealing with repetitive stress injuries, but usually average between twenty and forty five miles a week. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, I was training for this race, the DC Peaks Fifty, uh, which in October was canceled. I only got to run about twenty miles of it. I don't know if you might have heard of the ultramarathon up in mm-hmm. Davis County, right. that yeah. they, it was definitely exaggerated, not as dire a situation. I mean, I ran to the first aid station that was 14 miles in, I think, and they were evacuating people off the mountain, but I was prepared, and so I continued on and ran to the next aid station mm-hmm. so that people that needed more help could get it, and I got to the next aid station and ate some bacon and got driven down the mountain, so it was all right. It wasn't all bad. No, but yeah, I mean, the biggest part, I did uh, Odyssey Odyssey House Outpatient Program and graduated on Halloween uh, then, so that was 10 months about that I was in there, and I've never been on probation before, never had a probation officer, never... Spent time in jail before. That was my first charges to where I was incarcerated. So after being released for about two years, um, it was I was very, very scared. In the first four or five months, I think, of the outpatient program there, I was convinced that I was going to fail regardless of if I was drinking or drugging or doing any of that stuff. And so it was a really... <laughs> I don't know how productive it was for me the first couple of months, but I definitely settled into things, and I think that I left there, graduated there in a much better position, a lot more capable than I went in. Go ahead.
1: I have a question. So um, regarding cats, first just starting with cats, because this is a very serious, this is very serious, right? And, And I also want to make it clear that a lot of us that use, drink, drug um could be in this situation easily I could have easily been in this because I think there's a lot of stigmas and judgment about this right like oh you hear homicide or you you hear these things right but I could have easily I drove a lot I did stuff with my kids and so thank you for being vulnerable and having the courage to lay this out like I commend you for it thank you um so thank you I I really want to say that, so thank you. Um, But when this all came about, how did CATS prepare you? When you took that deal, you're in there for a long time. That is a lot. You already feel lonely. You already feel scared. All the judgments. How did CATS even prepare you to even want to come out of jail?
2: Um, uh, I definitely, from the day I went to jail to the day that I left, wanted to go out of jail. I mean, there was no, I, I feel like... I learned to live one day in jail and continue to do that until the very end. Um, For the first year that I was there, I didn't have a release date, so Mm. I just had to figure out how to get through one day at a time. But Mm. Cats, I think, really... The greatest thing that I've ever learned from anybody was from Leanne Marsh. I don't know if you guys know her. We, we have Definitely, heard of recent yeah. podcasts. But yes. she, she's a superhero to me and uh, mm. really, really pushed me in my first... And uh, the first time around was a lot of different situation because there was a lot more people in the program that... Where it felt like taking advantage of the situation, Mm. too, because like you said, a lot of people get early completion or early release on completion. That that wasn't me, and so for the first time around, I went through and graduated as house coordinator in there. So I was involved, but not it. It wasn't the same thing as the second time was during COVID, and it was there was. I don't know if it was 12 or 16 guys in there as opposed to the 32 maybe in the first. And I was lucky because I was in one of the small pods over there. So when it was knocked down to a smaller number of people, it was a way more personal situation. And when I mean, the biggest thing for me that she said since because I go to the Cats alumni regularly and she's said uh, just that she felt bad that there was somebody that could hate themselves so much. And I think the biggest deal that I've learned from her and continue to work on regularly is forgiving myself um, and moving on in the best way that I possibly can. And so that's where, that's what I learned the most through the whole entire thing. The most positive was definitely that I have the opportunity to forgive myself maybe it's I don't know it's it's definitely where my focus is but have you forgiven yourself no way no no way
0: you think you ever will
2: I hope so I don't know I I don't uh torture myself the same way that I do um one of the things in writing impact letters there uh the first time around I wrote it for my mom and my dad and the second time I wrote it from uh, my ex-wife and Rebecca. Mm. And so realizing and writing myself a letter from Rebecca was that um, she loved me, and she wouldn't want me, she wouldn't want anything negative for me. Um, And so looking at my life and my situation from her perspective, I I wouldn't deserve all of the hate from myself. And there's, I mean, there's other people that her family hold me very responsible, I know, and I don't blame them. And I think they have every right in the world to despise me and to um, portray me to whoever they want, however they want. I, whatever brings them comfort. The reality is I wish that we could mourn together, but that's that's not an opportunity that will ever be a reality. So, I, I think I've lost track of where I was. <laughs> that's, I right. well,
0: that's tough. You know, I, you brought up your state of mind uh, at the time, uh, and and I think almost every, I can certainly relate to it personally, because there were many times... Mm-hmm. that I'd, I'd get horribly depressed. I, I was a functional alcoholic for decades. And, and and there were times, and I blacked out a lot, just like you obviously did that night. Um, and and there were times, many times, when I said to myself, I don't have the balls to kill myself. I don't have the balls yeah. to, to put a gun to my head, but I'll just drink myself to death, and if it happens, it happens. And it sounds like you were sort of in that st- state of mind, and I... I if people who don't understand addiction don't realize yeah. just how far down you get in your mind and everything else, and, and you, mm-hmm. you need to climb out somehow, and that's why there are treatment programs and people who love you and everything, but at, at that point, you just don't care, right? Right
2: yeah and I think that the alcoholism and I say alcoholism because that was my main thing with the longest thing, but the reality is there was just anything to change my state of being right. but um, that that was my um, treatment, my own process to deal with the depression that I have regularly with or without any substance abuse it's just that I thought it was fixing things when in reality I just got worse and worse I I still deal with depression a lot serious depression and uh I I'm not drinking now but it like it's not fixed you know yeah. so it's definitely something that I thought was helping me and something or at least that like I I was getting by but like you said functional I mean from the time I was 18 or night what however old until um, October well February 16th I think because after Rebecca died I didn't drink again but I did relapse one time in February so right now I have like 1000 Thirty-five days or something Not like that. that anyone's counting, No, no, no. Yeah, I looked at it yeah. the other day, but I was gonna look at it this morning <laughs> and I forgot. But so I do have a bit of time behind me. But in in that period of time, I decided when she died that I couldn't drink anymore. It wasn't fixing anything. And then I was living in, uh, renting a room and there was a box of wine and mm. two months after that, that wine definitely, uh, tempted me and I made a decision to drink a glass of that wine and then the box of wine was yeah. gone shortly thereafter and I had called my dad that night and he came to take care of me and, uh, I hadn't drink si- I haven't drank since then. So there's... Yeah, it's, there's been a long time. Uh,
1: so amazing. We, we
0: understand. Rachel and I both have over nine years now of sobriety. Yeah. And, and there are times that I'm still tempted to, to drink again. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I know. I, I, I went to Florida with my 94-year-old <sighs> mom recently. And every time in the past when I had gone to beach-type settings where there are bars and people sitting on patios and everything, I wanted to drink, you know, and and, and that never goes away. You, you were triggered by, did you see triggered by needles? Yeah,
1: for me, so I definitely the needle, so, and it it seems because there's the mental health aspect of it too, so when I'm alone, and it seems like construction's always on the freeway, and when I'm on the, when I'm driving on the freeway, I'm alone, right? And that's when I'm in my head, and I'm by myself, and, and I create the best stories, right? That's when I'm having those conversations, so I'm the most triggered, when I'm driving on the freeway and I see construction cones, it reminds me of the needle cap, and that's when I really need to call someone. Wow, is that is that time? That's when I'm at my most vulnerable. So it doesn't matter like what how much time you have. It matters what I'm going through in my life and where I'm at in my life because I will always be this person. So it's being able to be open and honest. So that's that's it. That's what matters and i think like right now like you are being so vulnerable and i just i yeah. have, i appreciate you i i want to kind of change gears right now um because you're just oh you're so special um in the in the most possible like positive way like you are amazing my friend um so you get out right so let's put a different spin on this so I met you last I don't know what day I'm a little tired so I don't even know what day it is but we were at a grad's party and I saw you from across the room and it, it was it was such a fun party and I would have never thought this so I think there's this this space of where if we were on paper if you knew the stories and the pain and the destruction that I caused, my kids, my family, my friends, myself, um, and I also, you should do an impact letter to yourself. That is where I received a lot of healing, and we can talk about that later. Um, But the grads party, right? And you're just this incredible man. It was fun. I introduced myself to you. I know that for a fact, because you're just beating yourself up like crazy. I know for a fact that right before you walked in, there was a gentleman here before you that adored you. That was like, how are you doing? What are you doing? And so all of this stuff, like there is a lot of goodness to you. Let's talk about that. I know that I... I know how I personally felt. I know how this other gentleman felt. And so let's talk about the goodness that you have. So let's flip this around. Who are you, Nathan? Since you got out, like, what are you doing? You're a runner? Yeah, I definitely uh,
2: identify with running an awful lot. Um, and I don't know. To, I like to say I love running, but I'm not a runner. I don't really know. I don't know. <laughs> I go to a positive place is, I'm really excited about my new job. I'm a welder, and so that's great. Um, But, yeah, it's interesting to think about talking about myself. In general, it's easy to talk about a lot of the trauma. I've been practicing it for the last two years. I know, know? I know. When it comes to the good stuff or talking positively about myself, I'm tongue-tied and lost for words. (laughs) Well, you're a
1: hard worker because you worked right before you got in here.
2: Yeah, I was lucky. I got to pick up some hours this morning and I'll head back over and change back out of these <laughs> cleaner yeah. clothes to what I was working in. But yeah, I definitely, I'm super, super blessed uh, to live with my ex-wife and her boyfriend who just barely had a brand new baby. And in oh. through all of my addiction and after she left, we still remain best friends. And definitely, I, mean, I think the reality is we're much better friends than we ever were a couple. Yeah. And we could actually develop that friendship when she could quit taking responsibility for my negative actions because mm. I worked and I I think I really held it over her head that I worked and provided for her the best that I could, but kind of held her hostage in a way because oh, yeah. like you don't have to work so I could do any of this negative mm-hmm. stuff. And through all of that, and after not, I mean, she was there to talk to... Uh, all through my incarceration and now I mean when I got out of jail they let me come stay in their one-bedroom apartment in their front room while she was pregnant and uh, Mm -hmm. basically I mean I didn't have to go to sober living which to me looks like I mean it's a great opportunity but I feel like it's a bullet and a trap that I could dodge in a way by having such a great support system and now where we all live together and moved into a bigger place, so everybody's got their own room, and they have the most beautiful baby in the world. We went to that light show at the equestrian center last night, and so to be able to experience babies and growing up, I mean, I've got bunches of nieces and nephews, but I've never been full-time around a baby, and so to be a present and real live uncle nate that's there and can appreciate all the beauty and amazingness that is watching those two be so strong and support each other and take care of such a perfect baby like that's definitely the greatest source of joy in my life right now is home so that's something really really good
1: I love your smile right now. Can I just tell you yeah. that like yeah. I love your smile. You know
0: and, and and what he's pointing out happened happened to me, probably happened to you as well. When you're in when you're in the middle of addiction, you don't notice things like that. Mm. You wouldn't have appreciated that baby when you were drunk every day, right?
2: Definitely right? not. Yeah, and that's I I became an uncle I think at 16, 15 or 16 and my nieces and sister moved into my folks' house and I was there. As a babysitter for them and I was there as they grew up all through everything I didn't I never had the perspective that I do now and that's after I mean, just a, almost a year of this new baby so it's I come home super angry and if she smiles at me I'm not gonna be frustrated <laughs> anymore so that's pretty cool
0: what was the uh, it was was it Leanne's uh, comments to you that was the most significant thing you learned out of either the cats or her IOP program, and basically she was telling you to love yourself, you know, not hate yourself. But is is that the most significant thing you learned from Odysseys programs?
2: Um, I uh, I would say it's yeah, probably the most significant, and maybe not the to try and forgive myself, yes, but not to hate myself is. I mean, that's the reality of it. And what stood out to me when she said it was, like, how long are you going to hang yourself on this cross? Because that's what I was doing, was subjugating myself to misery, regularly torturing myself over what I feel responsible for when, like... I'm the only one that was doing that and if I think back to the people to the person most affected there's no way that she would want me to live like that Mm -hmm. and so yeah just the biggest lesson for me was not torturing myself whether I feel bad or responsible doesn't mean I have to hate myself or degrade myself or torture myself
0: you know what I find interesting is there's a there is really a significant camaraderie among people in recovery. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean you know, you, you, you talked about going to a, a grad's party the other night, and, yeah. and you just ran into Randy Burton, who was on our last week's podcast, uh, and you, yeah. you hug each other. Or you, or, I mean, it's just, you know, and, right. and we find that all the time in Odyssey House, you know, because a lot of the people who work there are in recovery
1: and ultimately it's this guilt and shame that keeps us stuck we all have our stories right and it it is it's guilt and shame that will keep us stuck and in this cycle and it's like uplifting each other and saying like it's okay like and and trying to that's what's so great about odyssey is this family like i just met you and we were there but i had the best time with you and here we are, right? And yeah. we can talk about this stuff and shed tears, and then we could show up again tomorrow, and we just keep trying and trying. And that's what it's all about. That's what is about. Tomorrow might be challenging, but then we do it again, and we do it again. And that's the beauty of Odyssey and, like, having, having the support. And us, we've been... I didn't like Randall when I met him. I loved you when I met you, you know, And it, it, but well, it's okay. Rachel, that's why. I, I
0: was going to just flip you the bird, but I won't do that. <laughs> because, uh,
1: but I love you. You're my, <laughs> yeah. you're my husband now. It's, it, it, but that's just the, it's called, what it's called is human, being human. And we're allowed to do so with integrity and honesty. And that's the whole part about it. And that's what I love about it is that I'm just allowed that.
0: It, it strikes me, uh, I, I, do you go to AA meetings or not?
2: Uh, Right right now, uh, I'm going to the grads group once a week on Mondays, and then I'm going to Cats alumni on Wednesdays. I
0: I go to AA meetings, Mm -hmm. and the fourth and fifth step deal with you coming clean on everything you've done screwy in life and then telling another human being about it. And I remember my sponsor saying, you know, don't worry about how bad the things you did are. Because there's always somebody who who's done a lot worse things, mm-hmm. and so no, and nobody's going to be shocked by what you say, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've I've heard that definitely, and I wonder <laughs> if, if it would be really cool to be able to perceive it in that way. Because I don't I don't know; it's hard to. Uh, maybe it's that I haven't experienced much AA, but definitely going through the program and stuff. No, I feel. I wish I could feel the same compassion or understanding or forgiving for people that I hear their stories for myself because it doesn't matter anything that anybody else says about themselves or has done for themselves like in their situation I could hear the most heartbreaking story and want to give those people love and understanding but I don't know like it doesn't make me feel better if somebody did something worse. I just feel more for them. I, do, like, I, don't, I don't know. I wish it would make things better for me, but I, don't, I can't relate to that very much at all. <laughs>
0: well, you're obviously, you can forgive other people a lot easier than you can forgive yourself is what mm-hmm. it boils down to. Yeah. I hope you learn to forgive yourself because you're a good guy.
2: Thank you. Me too. I've heard that a whole bunch. Maybe. (laughs) Won't you begin to believe it? (laughs) Rachel just said it. I said it. I appreciate it. And, uh, I mean, uh, logically, I feel like there's tons of evidence that I'm doing great things and making all of the right moves in positive directions. But, like you say, when you get down to being on your own, man, I, I I, (laughs) I I can't believe those same things. Maybe. Sometimes I do. It's not always bad.
0: If it ever strikes you that you finally love yourself, give us a call again, and we'll have you back on and talk about that yeah. because that's one of the keys. I mean, I, I hated myself for years, and yeah. now I don't know if I love myself, but I like myself, you know, yeah. and Rachel loves me. so I do. I <laughs> love so, him. Oh, that's it's all that true. matters.
1: He was one of my biggest amends, and I do. I love him very much, <laughs> very, very much. Thank you for being here. Thank yes, you for
0: being uh, so open and honest and sharing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. It was a joy seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you all for watching or listening to another edition of Odyssey House Journals.